Let's Roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for all things Kings of War. as they delve into the world of Mantica and bring you in-depth coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Countercharge. I'm John Fox. I'm Mark Zlowinski. I'm Rob Phaneuf. And I'm Steve Hildrew. Welcome to Countercharge. So... Today's episode is um, a little bit of a special one because we were just chatting with the the host of Counter Charge about getting our kids into uh, wargaming, into Kings, Kings of War, because we've all got kids of different ages, well, some of us have, and uh, we've had uh, varying levels of success in getting those kids interested in our hobby. And I think I've had the least success, and I was desperately looking for some tips, and I thought, who's the guy that I know that actually brings his daughter to Kings of War tournaments? And it's uh, none other than... Uh, King uh, Kings of War fanatics admin legendary man in the gaming scene John Fawkes welcome John to Countercharge Cheers Steve good to speak to you So John for those who might not know who you are let's start off with a little bit about uh, we we've, we've had you on Countercharge a few times before but uh, they were uh, reasonably long ago so maybe a new listener or something like that doesn't know who you are tell us a little bit about your kind of your gaming origin story how you got into wargaming how you found Kings of War Yeah sure um so uh I'm uh, late forties now, uh, so I'm even older than Steve. Um, so yeah, I started gaming, playing D and D and A D and D at uh, secondary school, so around eleven, twelve, thirteen, and I distinctly remember playing a um, a Warhammer version back then. So that would be eighty three, eighty four. So that was possibly version one, version two of uh, Warhammer Fantasy Battle. Um, so that's right in at the, uh, almost at the ground floor with, with wargaming on a tabletop, um, stopped playing it, uh, fairly, well, basically puberty as most people, um, discovered girls and discovered that girls and hobby don't tend to mix that well at that age. So I moved on to, uh, uh went to university. Um, when I left university, I moved to the East Midlands, uh, Nottingham, the lead belt, uh, and met up with, um, uh Sharad Vora, um, who's the uh, tournament organizer of, uh, of Battle Masters. And Sharad's a really good friend of mine. Uh, he's we've got mutual friends I went to university with. Uh, and uh, he introduced me to, reintroduced me to, uh, to Fancy Battle. So that'll be around fourth or fifth edition. So Hirohama time. Um, and I uh, collected uh, wood elves and uh, uh, orcs and goblins and undead uh, quite a lot then. Then got bored of that and moved on to Pew Pew, so a bit of 40k, and I've got uh, three, four 40k armies downstairs in the in my man cave. Um, and then uh, then really took a bit of a break as I uh, had a kid and we stopped doing gaming and uh, and fancy battle was getting really quite complex. And if you left it miss, if you went missing for uh, three or four months, you were so far behind in the in the meta and in the understanding of the game that. It just became too much to get back into the game quickly. So uh, uh, probably well, try many years later, I I, uh, I saw that Mantic uh, Games only appeared, and they were selling models that are really quite cheap. And I wanted a I wanted an out from from day to day work and just painting models. So I bought a a box of uh, Great Axe was my first unit. My first well, I think it was about twelve ninety nine at the time or ten ninety nine for. A, for a big box, and I thought it was a ridiculous price. Um, and then Sharad, being Sharad, um, upsold me um, two boxes of dwarf uh, army boxes. Uh, so I created my first big army, which was um, which is dwarfs. Um, so they just started to release the paperback uh, rules uh, with the, from the Alessio wrote. So it was well before version one. Um, and then we had a, um, I had a distinct memory going to, going to, um, Maelstrom games up in Mansfield for, for an, uh, an event, uh, an invitational day to test out some of the preliminary rules. And that was amazing fun. So, uh, yeah. And I, also I, I will lay some degree of claim to the first person to use unit basing. So multi-basing because that was my, my dwarfs were all multi-based. Uh, my my orcs weren't, so the the switchover came when I built the the first big unit, and I remember having to to order from war bases, um, just large 
single bases. They didn't do Kings of War bases at the time. I had to do a special order with different sizes to make my units. And I distinctly remember uh, Alessio and uh, Ronnie at the time both going, ooh, that's a clever idea, because I had my dice lined up behind my wounds, behind my unit built into the base. So, uh, yeah. Um, and from then, I've just been playing for all different versions, really. Um, over the past, uh, oh, I think, past about two or two and a half years, I've, I've really come back and going to tournaments. I used to do quite a lot of events and playing a lot of events. I've done fewer, mainly as uh, as done more and more work and more and more traveling with my, my job. Uh, weekends become more and more um, uh, more and more special to spend time with the family, which is kind of links into uh, where we're going to be talking about with why Alexa comes to uh, comes to events. So, so are you taking credit for inventing multibasing, John? Uh, yes, I am. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Fair, fair uh, enough. I'm, I, it, I'd never seen it before, um, and at that event, I was the only person with multi-basing. Nice. Yes. That's a nice little little historical tidbit there. That's pretty cool. So, so, so now I'm on, I know I'm on Kings of War Fanatics, and people talk about minimum model counts and preferred model counts and things like that, and I think, Jesus, what did I create? What, 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 mon- <laughs> what monster have I spawned? Well, speaking, yeah. of, speaking of Fanatics, you're, you're one of, or possibly the only remaining Kings of War Fanatics <laughs> admin. How on earth did you manage to land that dubious honour? Uh, I didn't step back fast enough. <laughs> so I assume you were in at, in at the beginning of the group, or I know nothing about the fanatics history. I was, yeah, I was fairly, I was in fairly early into it, um, but I stepped. I wasn't being involved in any of the uh, admin of it and, and things like that. It was originally just a, the um, uh, just a few select people, uh, and the tender cycle in. Um, you know, Nick was uh, uh, an admin for quite some time, and he stepped down, and I said, "Well, I, I can." I can do that. I can be reasonably fair with people, if a bit brutal sometimes. So uh, yeah, and uh, so I get the I get the dubious task of closing down most of the threads. Um, although there is a group of us behind the scenes, uh, so uh, uh, Dan, Sammy, and and co on who and so on who all uh, all help out as well. Certainly when I'm not awake. Yes, it is. <laughs> I mean, Rob, I know uh, Rob had a very interesting description of uh, fanatics, and it's absolutely accurate. <laughs> <laughs> it's gotten better though it's gotten better uh re- more recently i think there's been a little bit less trolling but you still uh when you get eleven thousand people yeah this is going to be the outcome yeah and uh, the, the, uh, to be fair people have been have been better at um discussions about model counts that's really now almost you know it, it, we're just accepting it and people don't whinge about it and moan about it uh the toy one comes up quite frequently uh, you know, I've closed down a couple of threads where people get ranting about it, and it's like, oh, for God's sake, people! It's a, it's a, we are pushing toys around on the tabletop. If you're being a bit prissy that your toy happens to look very much better than anybody else's and cost you a fortune versus somebody else's toy, uh, you know, we're still talking about toys, and and with all the uh, the rest of the, the stuff going on in the world, let's just chill down a bit and just relax and and just accept it. So that, that's that's generally my philosophy is just just calm down, people. I, I don't like to ban people, which is a, which is sometimes I do giggle a bit uh, that people are going off on one. I don't like banning people. I will mute people quite reasonably frequently when they're stepped out. But the people only get banned when they start coming on to to uh, PM me and start hurling abuse at me. And that's when they get banned. Very few people get banned. I do remember you at a tournament going, do you want to see me ban someone live? Do you want to see me ban someone live? Look, ban, <laughs> ban, I banned them. <laughs> yeah, that was a doubles. That was a doubles event, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, was yeah. down. Yeah, yes. Yeah, it was a live banning. <laughs> so, John, we obviously we've um, we've had quite a few recordings recently, so we've all given a little update of what we're doing during this uh, isolation time in terms of our hobby. But what have you been getting up to? You you travel quite a lot with your work, so being at home must be a bit weird for you. Uh, yeah, it's very weird. I mean, I, I I get a little bit of hobby work done during my normal working day, uh, usually when. Uh, you know, during, a, during my breaks and just stretching my uh, my legs and uh, refocusing my eyes somewhere else apart from a, a video screen. Um, but uh, over the past uh, past month or so, I've been uh, really trying to get into my Empire of Dust army. As people, you know, I've got, I don't throw things away. I never throw models away or sell models. So I've got models that are uh, 30 years old uh, plus um, in, uh, in downstairs in various different boxes. And I actually went, spent some time uh, about a year and a half ago, going through it all and all from different boxes and, and actually putting them into army boxes so that I could then start an army and build it all up. So I dug up all my old uh, GW Undead 
uh, and then converted them all into Empire of Dust. And that's now 5,200 points and still going. I've still got some more stuff that I need to sort out. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's my Empire of Dust. So you, you um, as, as appeared in uh, uh, the recent video uh, recording you made, with my very large base. <laughs> your broken trumpet. But to be honest, they look really good. I really, I, I, I love a thick base. I love a thick base, and they are the thickest bases I've ever seen. It was, the, was that kind of a when you were re- rebasing them? Did you decide to just go for a unified look across the whole army? Was that kind of behind just to make them easier to move around? Yeah, I, I, it was more that I wanted that sort of flag, the ancient flagstone look, and uh, I found some XPS foam supplier that did that uh, big sheets. Um, so. Just happened to be ten millimeter thick, so ah oh, well, it'll do, and it's fine. But I was going for the and the the basing color scheme is very much um, inspired, shall we say, by Petra in uh, in uh, Jordan. So the rose red city, and so it's a rose red lamp, uh, sort of sandstone look, uh, which um, I think works quite well with uh, skeletons because it, it's just that just that subtle difference in color makes them still stand out. Sometimes a problem can be with um, uh, with the Empire of Dust armies, you go for a very sandy colored base and you've got a very sort of bone colored, obviously, army. Um, you can hide away quite nicely, whereas mine's got a distinct red uh, sandstone base, uh, whereas the, the, and they're a lighter brown color for my skeleton hordes. So they stand out a little bit. And I've got a nice contrast color in there as well. Yeah, I think they look great. The other thing we haven't talked about is uh, is Four Foot Snake. So both both the tournament and the podcast. So um, for those who don't know, John runs a, a podcast um, called Four Foot Snake, which is himself mm. and three of his three of his friends just chatting about mostly about Kings of War. But we haven't heard you recording for you had a bit of a spurt of uh, activity at the launch of version three, and then it's gone all quiet. So what's going on with Four Foot Snake? Well, it's, it's now just it's now just two of us. It's now just me and Dan. Right. Uh, and whilst we should have more time to be able to do it, part of it is we we just with Dan's uh, Dan had, does lots of. Uh, of D and and uh, uh, and other gaming, and I'm just generally knackered in the evenings. So you know, if I've you know, as as you all know, you know, you're traveling for sort of five, six, seven hours in a day, um, you get back home and you just want to you know sit down with a meal, have a drink, and catch up on television. And before you know it, it's ten o'clock, and you're going right. I say I'm knackered because I've got to be up at five the following morning for another drive. So uh, just getting time to do it, to be honest, is difficult. Uh, and we. Um, uh, we were going to run a uh, the Four Foot Snake GT this year, but uh, it, neither Dan or, or myself are particularly good at organising. We both wanted to to run it and be on uh, a video stream and and commentate on it, but we didn't want to run it. So one of the, the Northern Kings offered to 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 run it, but uh, we just didn't have time to get it moving. To be honest, getting forward, so we just said we'll just take it do a, a year out from uh, from running it, and perhaps uh, perhaps in twenty twenty one we'll have time to do it. I want to do it when. Uh, uh, hopefully getting uh, Jeff or, uh, or Mark Cox to come across because um, they were both looking to come across this year, um, sort of mi- middle of summer. And that was potentially one of the dates we could have run it. But obviously, <laughs> with the current situation, that ain't happening. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I say is uh, I actually spend, I try to think actually, the most, you know, I, I tend to travel across to the US quite a lot for tournaments now. So I've been to, what, Lone Wolf twice and uh, Blue City Brawl last year, which was brilliant, you know. Uh, drinking, visiting Memphis, meeting up with Rob again, uh, and playing doubles, which is just great fun. Um, so uh, that's a year ago. Wow, <laughs> mm, long time. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I, I like to travel. You know, it's, it's I see. It as a, you know, I'm very privileged to be able to do that. It's um, you know, not everybody can can get the time off to be able to do it or the or the cost to go to the US. But to be honest, if you book it early enough, uh, things like Lone Wolf flying into Houston, it's um, it's you know, it's not cheap, but it isn't as ridiculously expensive as, as some people think. So, uh, yeah, I highly recommend going to the US for uh, for events. It is great fun. Um, Steve, you you were supposed to be going out there, weren't you? I was, but that was Adepticon, so that definitely didn't happen. But uh, I think we, we managed to get the flight refunded. So hopefully, cool. fingers crossed, next year then I'll be coming over to, I don't know if it's to Adepticon or to wherever Clash of Kings is next year, but I'm... Um, uh, as long as uh, Ronnie has a decent business year, then I think he might uh, charitably ex- uh, extend his offer by one year. So we'll see how that goes. I can't wait. Uh, Rob, Blue City Brawl still planned for this year? Is it in the in the? I mean, it's it's scheduled for May, but the closer we get, you know, I think you know we'll 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 have to. I think the guys will have to make a decision here in the near future. Right, you're not running it this year. That's right. You've stepped back from running it, right? Yeah, I actually. Uh... 
I don't think anybody else knows this, but I've decided to run another event. Uh, and we were starting up a new endeavor in St. Louis. So um, we're going for a big singles event. So more details. Watch this space. That's very Thank exciting. You. I mean, I've got to ask though, Rob, why St. Louis? Number one, uh, I already have a good friend that runs an event that's been going on for like 16 years there. And so I don't have to worry about all the venue stuff. I Look, I, I love running the events. I love the terrain. I love the the actual hanging out with the guys. I don't want to have to find the facility and handle all the money and all the bull crap that goes behind the scenes. So yeah. that's why. Oh, that's and, awesome because flights into St. Louis are usually pretty cheap. cheap so. Yeah. And, and the second that's thing great. is I think – I think t- there's two other reasons. One is St. Louis is um, underserved from a Kings of War perspective. We have not had a big tournament there. Uh, it's a fairly big city. You know, it's on par with Memphis. Um, and then the third one is it's in the mountain region. And I think the mountain region needs, you know, can always use another uh, qualifying GT. Is that so, St. Louis, Missouri? It is, as opposed to Arkansas. <laughs> even i know it's arkansas <laughs> there you go no i happen to love st louis they actually believe it or not I, I took my honeymoon and my second honeymoon in st louis and the reason is because we were broke when we got married and that was the cheapest place we could fly to so uh i have a i have a soft spot in my heart for st louis so i would love to try to get there yeah well, well we have the tournament packed ready to roll and i would think um, by the time you're hearing this, we will have announced the date and the costs and the point levels and, and all the details. And uh, I think for the first year, if we can get 20 to 30 players, I think we'll be happy. But I think we're looking to grow this into something big. So we'll, we'll uh, watch this space. We've, we've got um, a manufacturing site in St. Louis. I feel somebody's planning a business trip. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, um, yeah, it's, unfortunately, it's not my division, so uh, I can't really justify it, but um, I'll, I'll think about that one. <laughs> there you go. Just make sure you can fit Steve in your suitcase. That's, that's the big <laughs> that's, thing. That's a reasonably sized suitcase you're talking about there. I'll cradle your miniatures. So the reason we're chatting tonight is that we've, we've talked a lot um, about how the main demographic of Kings of War players is basically men over the age of 30, if we're being uh, generous with the ages, sometimes into the 20s. And if the hobby is going to continue to grow, then younger players you know, are the future. Uh, we've all got kids that are teenagers or older or approaching teenagehood, uh, and we've had really varying success in getting them interested in wargaming. So, Mark, starting off with you, it's fair to say I think your kids are the oldest, but your kids have had the most involvement amongst the the, the four of us here. So, talk a little bit about how you got them started in, in, into gaming and getting interested in, in in the scene. Well, what I really did was we're very fortunate to have the Origins Game Fair here in Columbus, Ohio. So that's uh, pretty similar to the UK Games Expo that you guys have over there. And so when the kids turned three years old, they got to go to Origins with Dad. So I would take them down there. They just kind of hang out. And I kind of just kind of raised them in the old geek culture there. So back in the day, I was on the Dice Tower podcast. So they played tons of board games. And they were some of the original Dice Tower kids. And uh, they are actually the founding members of the Sam Healy fan club, if you know who Sam is. But uh, so they they spent a lot of time just being soaked in the geek culture. And they go to Origins every year and have ever since they've been three. So, you know, we started off easy, you know, uh, three years old. You got one day, hang out, see people, you know, run around, throw paper airplanes and just kind of get them used to it. Now they are really, really into it. Like I said, they go every year, they're cosplaying, they're doing everything. They're they're terrific kids, so I love that. But as far as the miniature gaming hobby goes, I talked a little bit about this in episode 419, but you know, for Colin, I picked up a really poorly painted Space Marine army on eBay. It cost me like 60 bucks, something like that. Somebody tried to paint a Legion of the Dam army, and it was really hideous. But, you know, for him, yeah, I didn't mind. You know, they were like toys. So I just let him play with them. And he used them like army men, you know, kind of like the plastic army men. And uh, eventually he wanted to learn how to paint. And then he eventually started thinking about the rules. And uh, that's how I ended up with a ton of ultramarines in my house. So he was an ultramarine guy, die in the wool. So uh, this was back in uh, 40K 5th edition. And uh, the kids were really, really into it back then. So And then when he drifted into Warhammer Fantasy, we, as we all know, He's Colin the Necromancer, Colin Von Karstein. He loves the undead. So he is all about vampire counts and the undead in Kings of War. So, but, and then his sister Kylie benefited from him having models all around the house. 
So she started painting and I started teaching her rules when she was about six, I think, somewhere around there. So her first Adepticon was 2010. She was seven years old. And uh, I remember that really finally. I remember picking her up from school. It was pouring rain. And we drove to Chicago and rained the entire trip. It was really, really, really interesting. But, you know, when we got there back in 2010, there were just a handful of kids there, you know, two, three, something like that. And I'm really happy to say Adepticon you see more and more and more kids there every year. It's really heartening for me, myself, just to see all these kids getting involved with the hobby. So, and uh, back then, you know, again, we were still into 40K. And, uh, you know, somebody gave her some Space Marine Scouts that they specially painted for her chapter. And it was really, really cool. So, she, uh, also being in painting, she also managed to snag a couple of crystal brushes in the kids' division at Adepticon over the years. So, you know, which was great. And again, as I mentioned, her main army was 40K Space Marines. And I mentioned uh, in that last episode that, you know, she had the Tiger Marines. They were bright orange and yellow. There was no shading. It was all just straight up primary color. They had some um, Dark Angels green stripes on the uh, on the shoulder pauldron. And uh, I made a little back banner for her captain that had Tony the Tiger on it. So which is pretty cool. And then when she drifted into Warhammer Fantasy, she started out with Wood Elves. She was super into the Wood Elves, but then she started riding horses, and it was all about the Bretonians. So she is the Bretonian girl, and there are people that still still call her Brett to this day. So when they run into him, so but uh, you know, which was very very cool. You know, Colin started playing tournaments when he was about 15, 16. Actually, he didn't go to Adepticon until I think 2014. I think was his first one. He played Warhammer singles and team tournaments with me. I got him into that. As I mentioned, he played the vampire counts. And we would actually run into Rob quite a you know, along the circuit. And, uh, you know, Andy Sherman, one of the original hosts of Mantic Radio and Counter Charge. We played a lot of Kings of War in first edition. I remember getting the first starter box. It was awesome. And we actually built that while camping. So that's a tip. You know, use it as kind of like when you're on vacation or something and the kids are really bored, clipping and gluing models together and kind of pushing them around with dad was kind of fun. So uh, there's a little tip for you there, Steve. So get it, get the people in isolation. But in 2014, he took home Best Painted at the U.S. Clash of Kings. That will never happen again. <laughs> so, But uh, we just continued to play in tournaments. And our last KOW tournament was Living Legends uh, down in October of 2019. We had a great time. Colin and I played lots and lots of 500-point Kings of War 1st and 2nd edition games on Friday nights until uh, Kylie's D&D game uh, moved to our house, and they kind of took over our gaming spot in the basement, her and her friends. So we're kind of looking for a place to play right now. So uh, only when it is canceled and not at our house do we get managed to get in a game. So, But he's playing a lot of Walking Dead, Zombicide, and stuff like that, so... Know, which is fun. Just a little quick note. Uh, Colin also has a crystal brush uh, to his credit as well. Their father will never have one. So it's <laughs> very cool. But uh, And then uh, Kylie's kind of falling out of the hobby right now. She's focusing on D&D and board games with her friends right now. But she is building some Stormcast. I know that's kind of sacrilege here. But uh, we picked some up when we were in San Francisco. Because one of the other things I do, guys, is every time we go on vacation, particularly when my wife's not around is, I always look up where the local games workshop store is and we go in and visit and paint and hang out. So they kind of got sucked into it kind of through that. Every time we took a vacation, uh, particularly we went to Washington, D.C. a couple of times. My wife had to go to a con go to a conference. So I would take the kids and go to all the local GW stores. So that was the kind of dad I was. So <laughs> a lot of fun, though. But uh, both of them love Adepticon. They have a great time. And uh it's just really nice gaming with your kids. I highly recommend it. Cool. And it's kind of funny because I, I kind of set aside Friday nights as our game night when we're going to do board games. And then uh, we're recording this right now. <laughs> so I'm just the worst dad at the minute. <laughs> but, yeah. John, you're, you're a talk- terrible human being. I am a yeah, horrible person. Horrible, horrible. I, I was like, yeah, but that's okay, Steve. So do you have any, uh, I'm sure you have some games workshop stores around you, so... Well, yeah, yeah they're all closed. Yeah, they're all closed right now. <laughs> well, when they open back up again, they let you paint a free miniature. And I'm telling you, that is an awesome way to kind of get your kids a little bit interested because GW does one thing. They try to get you into the hobby, so which is kind of fun. So, you know, and, um, you know, if you pop to the other stores, they can kind of build up a little force because you get a free miniature at each store, which is kind of cool. And then they get a couple of models. 
and uh, you have a good time with them painting and you get that quality one-on-one time with them. So I highly recommend it. If you've got some of those stores around, definitely check them out. Yeah, we have. Well, because I live in the Midlands uh, of the UK, which is pretty close to um, GW headquarters. We actually, I think I have five games workshops within driving distance of me. So that's definitely something. But it's kind of interesting. I'll talk a little bit about my kids and where they're at in a minute. But um, I think still think Games Workshop here has um, something of a bad reputation, particularly amongst kind of teenage type kids. Um, it's totally being a little bit too nerdy. It's not quite at the level of acceptance. I think it is maybe over in the US. But John, you're you're notorious for bringing Alexa to double tournaments. So was that how you started? Talk a little bit about um, how you started wargaming with your daughter. Yeah, yeah, sure. Actually. It- the first event that Lexa went to probably was should be about six or seven, perhaps seven, and it was um, Rob Berman ran a uh, Clocks of War event in Nottingham. Uh, so this is before Rob joined uh, joined Mantic, um, and uh, for some reason I think I said, you know, Lexa, you fancy coming to this? And she said, yeah, sure. So I contacted Rob and said, uh, you know, is it okay? She comes along. She's she'll keep quiet and she'll have an iPad with her or something to to keep her occupied. And she came along to the event and. Uh, didn't get anybody's way and rolled a few dice and, and spent some time with me. And that was really good. And it was the first introduction really to, uh, to the hobby scene and the, you know, all the, uh, adults. And it's the first time she met, uh, sort of Nick and, uh, and Dan who were both there. Um, so that was, and from then on, it really became, she just came along with me to when I was playing in one day events, she would just come along with me, uh, and watch, um, when she got bored of it, of it, she'd get her iPad out or a book out or something and read and sit in the corner. Uh, she'd come along to do the um, do uh, critical rolls. Uh, she was extremely good at rolling double sixes for for nerve checks, provided I wasn't anywhere near her. As soon as I got near her, she 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 just fluffed it and rolled double ones all the time. So uh, it, it became a bit of a joke. And we used to go to uh, events down at uh, Black Dragon with Gary. Uh, we had quite a few events down there where she went to, and it was when. Um, uh, when Matt started organising the doubles events down in Hertfordshire, and you know, from just to give a geography lesson to uh, people not from England, uh, Hertfordshire is about an hour and a half drive from from where I am in in the Midlands, which is basically next door for people in the US, but the opposite end of the world for anybody in the UK. And uh, I said to Alexa, "Do you fancy uh, do you fancy going to a doubles event and actually playing the game?" And uh, so she was about um, ten, nine, ten in the first event. Uh, and we came fourth out of 12. Uh, so clearly she was a, a tactical genius on that. If anybody who's ever played with me uh, in events knows um, I'm not the most gamey person. She did dice off uh, that first event. In, our, in the first uh, game, she rolled uh, four. The first four nerve checks she did were 11, 12, 12, 12. Um, so <laughs> I took off, through, took off four units from, from our opponents with, with slightly higher than average dice rolls. So, uh, yeah, she's quite... Um, Quite an interesting uh, person for dice rolling. So yeah, so uh, she's uh, she's won we won fourth place in the first event. We won best sports at that event as well. So we'd like to do lots of doubles events. Uh, she's not quite up to um, going solo yet. Obviously, the the, the funniest story is always around um, uh, the language. Obviously, the UK people tend to have a, shall I say a robust Anglo-Saxon language, particularly in events where it's all um, adults generally. So uh, there is, she has learnt a few choice words, but she's also learnt to not use them around other people. So she's, uh, she doesn't get embarrassed by it, and I don't get upset. And it's the first thing I say to people is, don't act any differently around Lexa as you would do around anybody else. You know, it's we are quite a respectful community as a whole. Um, and uh, but language is the one where it's it's quite funny. People. Paul Walsh was was hilarious one time. He he just let an f bomb off right next to Lexa, and he turned and went, oh, oh, ooh. And I went, it's all right, Paul. She's heard that one before from me. Don't worry about it. <laughs> That's not an issue. So, uh, yeah. It, so uh, she's been to uh, yeah quite a few events now. And uh, probably uh, we did. We went on a, one of our allowed walks out of the house. I don't know. We were allowed for, to go out, leave the house for about an hour a day uh, in the UK. So we went for a walk with her uh, and the rest of the family. And uh, we did suggest on one of the walks that perhaps next year, uh, she might come to the US on, for an event. So uh, I need to get her trained up and so that she can handle uh, dealing with Americans. Uh, so that could be quite funny, but uh, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. 
So does she get, do you guys play at home as well? Or is it just when she comes to events that you guys, uh, she rolls out her dice rolling skills, which sounds like, you you know, you're actually abusing her ability to roll dice for your own benefit. Uh, Oh God, yes, yes, yes. I mean, let her do all the critical dice rolls. Absolutely. And I just need to walk away and leave the table because otherwise it doesn't work. Um, We play occasionally at home. We've got a table set up in the garage downstairs so that we, uh, uh, obviously garages on the count floor. Otherwise that'd be really silly. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. <laughs> um uh, so uh, yeah we we do uh, we do play occasionally um and she's beating me every single time we've played that what can i say uh, she, she in version two Elohi we're just broken so and she's also getting a little into the hobby um painting wise in fact anybody who's seen my uh, basilean army which has got some stormcast eternals as uh Elohi, uh, there's one model on that base that's actually painted by her, and I will challenge anybody to be able to pick out which one it was because it's actually can't tell the difference. <laughs> so she's um, we developed a scheme that was uh, something that I do for for all my gaming uh, for all my hobbies is try to keep a, a very simple schemes that look quite good from about two and a half feet away. If you get too close, you'll you'll see the the gaps and the and the problems. So uh, I developed a scheme for her that worked quite well, and uh, I copied it and built an entire army using that color scheme. So. Uh, yeah, so she's uh, a next army for her is Night Stalkers. So we, uh, I bought uh, some Night Stalker stuff uh, for her, and uh, we're now starting to build those sets up and to get onto painting those. So they're all going to be nice and uh, purples and greens because nothing says evil like purple and green. I think so. So she's into the the hobby part of it as well. So the painting part. One of the things we were talking about with Rob was that. Uh, a lot of kids might get into the game just for playing the game, but the way to get people kind of interested and into it for the future is to encourage the, the actual hobby part where you're investing yourself into the armies that you're building rather than just playing somebody else's. Yeah, I, I agree. And and also, it's how I go into the hobby. I mean, to be, to be really honest, the gaming part is the is the third, my third the third most important part for me. Um, the first one is social. I really enjoy the the social aspect of going to games. I go to tournaments and not play. I've been to two Clash of Kings because I've been away for the, the week before on business. So I knew I couldn't go to the full event. But I've popped down and uh, you know bought a hotel room for uh, overnight just to go and just to chat with people and, and have some drinks and go out for a meal with people just for the f- sheer fun of it. Um, so social aspect to me is the most important aspect. And I want her, um, Lexa and, and Amy eventually, to get to a point where they're confident and happy to talk to different people and interact with people and you know, get rid of the... Um, there's some self-consciousness that all children have um, and a lot of adults have and trying to break that down. And the more time she spends with, with grown ups and adults of different types just develops uh, her personality um, into a, something that I'm hoping that she'll, she'll retain. Um, the second aspect is hobby and just relaxing. I find painting to be extremely relaxing and, and chilling. Friday, I'm not spending all my time painting damn straps on ogres, um, which <sighs> nightmare, but uh, you know, painting an army, I find to be very therapeutic. If I never play it, I mean, my Empire of Dusk, I probably never play it, and I've got 5,000 points downstairs. Um, so, it's, you know, I'm just painting it because it's there and it's something to do that gets my mind some mindfulness, getting it off uh, whatever else is going on in the world. Uh, and then the third aspect, obviously, is actual gaming. But that's, you know, that's very much uh, a back step for me. Gaming's fun, but it's not the be and end all of the hobby. Yeah. Rob, so... Obviously, Aubrey is, is the voice of uh, Countercharge and the co-host of the Board Game Cave. And I missed the Board Game Cave. I recorded you an intro for the Board Game Cave. I know. And it never she's, came back again. <laughs> she, like, uh, you know what? She's getting to that age where she's too cool for this kind of stuff. Uh, I don't know. It's 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 unfortunate. But, uh, you know, on, on my end, it's really more about the hobby. We don't... She, from a gaming aspect, she finds other things more maybe accessible or more fun. She's been playing a lot of Magic. We do a lot of board games. And so from Kings of War specifically, she's really more about just painting models. And she's, you know, I I think that's, you know, I think if I ever really wanted to get her into the game, I think that's the avenue we'd have to go, you know, which is create a background story. Let's make a custom model for that character. And then she would paint it up and that and that would put some investment in her army and it would get her excited and uh but the other thing is you can't push them, right, John? I mean, it is what it is. If, they, if they're interested, great. If they're not, there's not a whole lot you can do about it. Absolutely, yeah. That's that's really important, not to try and force your, you know, living vicariously through your children is not a, not a smart move at the best of times. So uh, um, you can try and give all the uh, support and, and encouragement and, you know, and whatever, but fundamentally it's it's their choice. It has to be their choice. 
And they may come back into it later as well. Yeah, I totally agree with that. You just you can't push them. That all you can do is kind of set the table for them and see if they take the bait, so to speak, and uh, stuff like that. So, but that's why I do the five hundred points because they're not. It's not a huge time investment. Not a ton of models. If you want to do something else, and you know they can paint it up and they can play, and it it basically gives you the experience, you know, in a short period of time. So that's like we did in forty k. We we played mostly combat patrol and. You know, thousand point games in fantasy, just uh, you know, fun, fast, and furious. Yeah. So w- with my kids, so obviously I only I only came into wargaming. It's uh, about a year and a half ago, and so um, at that point, my daughter is uh, she was well, she's eighteen now, and she was into her exams, and she's actually very very um, arty, and she's going to art school, so she's she'd probably be able to paint something really beautiful, but. Um, and she said, oh, yeah, I'd kind of like to paint some models, but I've got these seven pieces of homework and I've got to do, you know, four paintings for this and the other. So that was something that we, we haven't come back to, although I might might still try. My son is, um, he's 13 now. And I actually got into Wargaming to play with him because I was looking for things to do um, with him because we did play some video games together, but his he tends to, he's got a Nintendo Switch and he tends to just kind of focus on playing that. So I thought, hey, when I was a kid, I loved playing uh, war games with my brother and uh, maybe we could do that. And we played a few games, but he lost interest pretty quickly. He wasn't interested at all. Um, and I found I was interested. And that's how I kind of got into war gaming and into Kings of War. So recently we, I did get him back into uh, playing a couple of games with me, but um, that's kind of fallen off the sidewalk a little bit. So I will keep trying there, but I, he's definitely not a painter and he's definitely not interested in the hobby side at all. He just likes occasionally playing games when he feels like uh he's he's not too cool to play with his dad um, but i do have a last chance saloon with my three-year-old so um he's at, at the time he's he likes picking up the models and he likes uh throwing them around and running them over with duplo toys making me twitch like i'm like that's a greater fire elemental than i've had a lot of time airbrushing so what would you you veterans suggest for for getting my three-year-old started in the hobby and interested well, for myself, Steve, I envision a trip to the UK Games Expo, Expo for you. So you can uh, just kind of, you know, my my tip is just kind of get them started in being in that environment and stuff like that. So my other top tip and how I get to go to a lot of places and got my kids involved was I do daddy-daughter trips or daddy-son trips, and my wife doesn't go. So that's how I get to go to wargaming stuff. And a uh, big thing about getting the kids to go because they get to go on a trip with dad. They're only with dad. So, it, uh, you know, it's a lot of uh, quality time and you just kind of take that trip, you know, and and have a good time. And then hopefully it turns into going to tournaments and things like that as they get older. But, uh, you know, that might be a tip for your 13 year old. But uh, for the three year old. Definitely. You know, probably even the 13 year old, you know, hitting hitting a gaming convention, something like that, that just to get them started and interested in stuff. You know, that that's my tip. One tip for me would be uh, once uh, GW's head office opens back up, going the doing the tour around the uh, the gallery upstairs. That's really impressive. Um, and uh, seeing all the miniatures in a big diorama settings is is really, really good. The, uh, my two both love that from a very early age. And it's free for them to go in, so it only costs for adults. And uh, they serve very good coffee, apparently, in uh, Bergman's. So your other half will be happy. <laughs> You'll serve wine as well. Hey, I'm, I'm down for the wine, although I have to drive there. This is a Warhammer World, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did take, um, I took Oscar to um, the UK Games Expo, actually, when we, were starting getting, when we were starting to play Kings of War. And um, someone on the Mantic stand sold me some of Nick's Battlefield cards that I never used. And I now have three packs of Battlefield cards because people keep giving me Battlefield cards. And uh, we actually had a really good time there. We spent a lot of time going around. We played a hex game that he enjoyed and we we sat down for some card games. But uh, it was really exhausting. It was the first time um, he'd been to anything like that. And after three, four hours wandering around the game floor, he was he was kind of done. Um, so it's kind of interesting. And we have talked about going back sometime. I've got some amazing photographs of him with uh, some some uh, Mass Effect weapons some cosplayer had, and he, he was looking really happy at that time. I think he was about 11 at the time. So it's something we could get back into. I think the problem is, as, as and I was the same when I was a teenager as him, he's kind of painfully shy, I think, and the idea of going to a, a big expo and talking to people that he doesn't know, I think uh, he'd never admit it, but it's probably quite daunting to him, and he's kind of withdrawing to himself, whereas obviously I've somewhat grown out of that, shall we say. Um, but my three-year-old is really, really outgoing. So I, I think, you know, that's definitely something he might enjoy um, picking up. And he does love playing games with us. Uh, so we'll see how we go with that anyway. 
Do we think that other games have a higher proportion of younger players? I'm thinking specifically of 40k just because of the massive amount of players that play it, but it seems that's a lot more attractive. You know, what do you think is the attraction of the game? Do you think it's because they've got big guns? It's the big guns, right? I think it's just accessibility, right? I think that there's just, if you go to a gaming store, there's typically going to be a game of 40k going on. And uh, But to your point, there is something about the sci-fi element that maybe the modern generation prefers over fantasy. Yeah, both my kids started in 40K. Well, Kings of War wasn't around back then, but, uh, you know, they just really enjoyed it. I think the Pew Pew has got a little bit of a mass effect there. And, they, you know, you got to admit, Space Marines are cool. So, you know, you get your little tanks and stuff like that. I mean, and they're easy to paint. I mean, you can just, I mean, those Tiger Marines, they are like bright orange with a, I forget what yellow color it is, but, uh, you know, there were like four colors on that model and they, you know, it was pretty cool. I still got them. So the, they get broken out every once in a while, uh, mostly for nostalgias. I run across them in the basement, but and I never get rid of them. They're, you know, they, they have so much memory power for me, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know. They really seem to like it a lot, but when they got into fantasy, I got to tell you, 40 K went to the wayside pretty quick. They both, you know, when once he found his faction, you know, Colin was all undead. You know, the Ultramarines sat in the drawer and, uh, you know, once the Bretonians came online, the Tiger Marines went in the uh, battle foam. And, uh, you know, like I said, they only come out every once in a while. So but uh, they just got to find their thing. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. The because I went to when I started, it was a fantasy and then went to 40K Um 40k traditionally over over fantasy was it was a simpler game um i would, I would argue that it's the king's war is actually much more simple now than than uh, uh than 8th ed 40k is but um i think mark nailed it really nailed it there and and robbed it as well one it's access every every gaming store and most towns in the uk have a games workshop and there's always a game of 40k going on there and the second one is that the the archetypal um, good guys in the in the uh, army of space marines, which are incredibly simple to paint, um, to get something that even and, um, uh, to get something that looks even slightly good. Now with a you know single paint on the top, a wash over the top of that, and then pick out a little bit of color here and there, and it's it's more than adequate for for gaming with for the kids. So I can see why 40k's. And my my concern is that that the 40k's the rule system is so is, is becoming so bloated and so complex uh despite the the wish i get from from gw to keep it relatively simple uh to pick up and carry on that the the um it's actually quite hard to learn to play uh whereas kings of war i think is is incredibly simple to play and learn to play so um it might tip for for um for uh for ronnie and, and the mantic team is 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 go for a uh, go for a relatively simple armies that you can paint up really really quickly and easily uh, but keep your rules nice and simple and you might stand a chance with with the young end so uh i know that uh you know self gogs and orcs have always been uh fairly easy to paint and uh, eventually i think i'll get my lexer and something onto that but nice stalkers are fairly easy to paint as well but yeah pew pew it does does tend to get grab certainly grab boys attention one of the, one of the things I th- I was thinking about with the because I, I was always a fantasy nut right and Lord of the Rings was uh, when when I was a kid and when we were kids you know there wasn't a lot of the other kind of forms of entertainment that's kind of exciting and actually so the idea of fantasy for me was really really exciting and reading books like you know Raymond E Feist books and and Tolkien books totally grabbed me so for me I've always been a fantasy nut but people of 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 that age these days have access to this huge range of entertainment and things like anime have just absolutely skyrocketed in popularity so i know for example that my my 13 year old is really interested in anime and, and watches some and i wonder if somehow kind of the the lure of fantasy is something really exciting and out there has dulled a little bit because there are just these really wild forms of entertainment that are really imaginative that are outside of the gaming world. So something like fantasy actually seems a little bit tame now because it's a little bit more mainstream. So in that way, it becomes less attractive and it is less likely to grab attention. Yeah, that's a fair comment. Yeah, yeah. I think also um, the uh, <laughs> there's also you think that you brought up on and same as I was on on more books. Um, and the Tolkien-esque and, and that sort of stuff. Um, whereas, you know, let's be honest, kids nowadays are all clued into, um, you know, Xbox this and PlayStation whatever and 
uh, Nintendo Switch games. So they're getting they're getting accused from somewhere else, and so Halo and things like that for fantasy, for um, just builds on the pew pew uh, drive. There isn't really a you know apart from Zelda, there isn't really a, an archetypal uh, fantasy game in um, on the PlayStation. I could think of off my head. Yeah, something like uh, maybe Fable or um, yeah, things like Mass Effect are a lot more kind of attractive. I, mean, I suppose there's like the Witcher games, all those kind of right. games. The Witcher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, what was the other one? Oh, what are they called? The Morrowind games. So he he loved yeah. the Morrowind games. He played he's played all of them. Except Oblivion obsessively. So Skyrim, all of those. Oh yeah, 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 yeah Skyrim. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. see that more as yeah. I guess it's it's. Uh, I see that more as a sort of RPG type, you know, gets people into D and D, A D and D, which is probably the routine actually for to anybody to get to mass battle games. And my, my kids all into Minecraft, so oh I don't yeah, know what yeah. I mean, my yeah. kids and uh, Roblox. I mean, geez, yeah, yeah. I'm still like Mario Kart. Mario Kart is still cool. Well, actually, that's why I was late to the podcast. I had to put a beat down on my five year old nephew. <laughs> he was talking a little crap, and I said, "All right." So uh, and then and then so like I handicapped it by you know I, I'm playing it without all the uh, all the automatic drifting and stuff and he's beating me and I'm like oh no this is not I'm not doing this come on so I had to put the beat down on the kid. <laughs> <laughs> do do we think war war games have got kind of what it takes to attract kids that have grown up in this digital age because the fact of the matter is the stuff on screen is just amazing and you can get quite invested into it you know he's put hundreds of hours into Monster Hunter. Do we think that owning a miniature that you've painted is, can kind of match up to that thrill in today's world? It scratches a different kind of itch, and I think for some kids, yes. Uh, but I think there are some kids that are just, to your point, they're completely invested in the, the digital experience, and I think, you know, they're probably not as uh, excited. I think the other thing, too, is it depends on what kind of kid you got. If, if you've got a, a real creative kid, um, one that does like the artsy kind of things, um, craft projects and that kind of thing. I think that's they might be more inclined to give it a shot. Uh, but yeah, it really it depends on your kid. Your mileage may vary. Yeah, part of what I did, Steve, was you know when they painted their models and then they go into that um, video game toilet, so to speak. You know, where they just they can't get their head out of it. And you know, after they after they kind of uh, are in there for a little while, it's like, hey. Look at these models you painted. They're still here. You know, what happened to that video game that's no good for you anymore? They're, you know, whatever. You know, it's like, hey, this stuff's permanent. And the other thing, too, is you play by yourself as opposed to playing with the community. And I think the community is a big part of it. Like, uh, I haven't mentioned yet, but my kids actually play Advanced Squad Leader, Starter Kit, and ASL. And we actually go to uh, ASLOC every year, which is the Advanced Squad Leader Oktoberfest. And now they'll play one or two games a year. But they go, and the reason they want to go is, one, they want to hang out with Dad, and two, they want to go for the community because they go, and these people have been seeing them since they've been little, and they are both the youngest players to ever be at that tournament, and, you know, they enjoy it. And then, of course, I always take one for free pizza night and one for free drink night. Dad gets free beer. They get free drinks. So, you know, I think the community is a big driver part of that as well. You know, everybody's been very welcoming to Colin, and... You know, I tell them, it's like, hey, you know, go on After Dark or, hey, you don't need me for that. Or, you know, hey, you know, when dad's not here anymore, you know, you're going to be able to go and play Kings of War with these people. And, you know, so keep in contact with them. You know, it's it's, it's another way for them to reach out. And as you mentioned, your son's painfully shy. But, uh, you know, that's part of that's all part and parcel of it. Colin, as Rob will attest, is not all that talkative either. But, uh, you know, when you get him into it, you know, he, he can he can run with the best of them. So. I think I think we need to talk also about how Jeremy made an eight-year-old cry once at a tournament. Um, very important. Very good talking point. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. It's definitely a subject that needs to be discussed. We should bring it up um, many, many times because uh, he keeps gloating about how he made that eight-year-old cry. Uh, definitely didn't affect him. That was strong the way he was standing over him. <laughs> he did need to punch him as well. But um, the point is, do we think tournaments are too tough? It's quite a competitive environment and people don't necessarily act in noble ways all the time if they really want to win. Do you think tournament environment is is too too competitive for, for kids of, of, of different ages? I don't think so as long as you have a good TO that knows what they're doing. Because, I mean, if a kid comes to one of our events, we're not going to put them up against somebody that we know 
maybe doesn't have the personality or the ability or the restraint to, to pull it back. Um, because let's be honest, if a kid's new to the game, they're probably not going to win. And what we're looking for is a positive interaction with that other player so that they want to play again and they want to learn more. And so that's what we're looking for. We're not looking for, uh, and also I should say, we're not letting for, you know, let the Wookiee win. We don't necessarily want the guy, the, the other player to roll over. John, you, you actually brought her to a few tournaments. Why don't you chime in? Yeah, it was, a, that was a concern of mine, uh, was, I, I was pretty sure that uh, playing because we're playing doubles. I think I was pretty sure Alexa was be robust enough with me, not to not to get upset. And to, to be pretty honest, she doesn't care whether she wins or loses. She, she wants a bit of fun, which is pretty much she's got that from me. You know, let's be honest, I lose more than I, than I win. So if I took it really personally, I'd be I'd be uh, you know I wouldn't play. So she she's um, you know it does vary a lot by ch- by child. But what concerned me was actually whether people would be happy to 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 play her and play against me, or would they pull back a bit, or would they um, not treat her as as a normal player and, and treat her somewhat differently and treat me somewhat differently for playing, you know? So not go for the charge that's that's very obviously there that because I made a mistake or she made a move too far and you know always you know not taking the, the call. So. I think I'm not sure if the first time we played that people did that, but certainly now we're on to our fourth. I think we've been we've been playing doubles events now for four times down at in Hertfordshire. So a lot of the players know us very well down there, and there is no holding back. I know when uh, you know when I played with the people, it's you know it's pretty brutal. I mean, you still you know still jumping up and down on people, um, but yeah, that's 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 why I expect from gaming. It's all polite still, but you're still you know you're still stomping people. Yeah, Lex is more than robust enough to be able to handle herself on that situation. Because, because frankly, she'll also roll an occasional double six and just wipe out a unit that shouldn't have been wiped out, which is hilarious. Yeah, I kind of have the same experience. I, I'm like you, John. I'm not very good, so I expect to lose, and that's the great mindset. If I win, it's a victory. I'm kind of like the Chicago Cubs of miniature wargaming. Well, until 2016. But anyways, before that, but, uh, you know, and that, that's why I kind of taught the kids. You know, it's it's a good way to help them build some character. And, you know, if they expect to go in there and stomp people, they're not going to. And I think most people that played Colin in the beginning, I think, you know, took their foot off. I mean, they won, but they didn't stomp him into the dirt. And uh, he occasionally won a game here or there legit. So and it built his confidence. And, uh, you know, I just remember playing Warhammer by um, and you don't remember at Ocon, Rob. At the end of that first day, that kid was beat. His brain was melting like most adults were. So, But the good thing about Kings of War is that, you know, you can play three games and it's not nearly as taxing, which is great. And then, you know, again, you know, you get them to go out to the dinners and stuff like that and just have some fun. And the other thing is to remember they're a kid. So if you need to break away from the crowd, like I'll make sure that I usually have a hotel with a swimming pool, let them go swimming or just to kind of go back to the room and cool out and play their video games or something. So you got to remember they're a kid too, and they can't run, you know, they're not going to do what you're going to do. So, but uh, yeah, I find in general, it's been okay. You know, I really didn't have any big problems. Kylie only really played with me as my partner in all the games that we played with her. She, she got invited to actually play in the 40 kids, uh, kid tournament at Adepticon, but she turned that down. So, but, uh, and that reminds me of kids tournaments, uh, Harris Doosnap has been on the podcast before, and he actually ran a tournament just for kids. And I think that's a great idea for just trying to get, you know, people and the kids playing the game. So, you know, one of these days, hopefully we'll have, uh, you know, if the kids don't want to play with the adults, you can have a side event kind of like Masters where, you know, maybe they got a little four or six person uh, kid event going on. And I think that would be great myself. It's a very good point you made that, Mark, about the about tiredness um i do notice that lexa by the end of the uh maybe through the last game is starting to zone out you know you know she's she's not engaged as fully in the game as she is at the first game so that is a good point uh, i think when we do start playing together and in, in going to events it may have to be uh just a three game event i think a four game event will wipe her out uh, she just won't be interested in the last game so uh it's, but that is yeah is the robustness perhaps is yeah, well, been, she's 12, so, <laughs> yeah, she's not got the attention span that uh, that uh, a lot of people have. 
my favorite kid at a tournament, Rob. I can't remember his name, but he's been on Counter Charge a few times. The king of the smack talk. The J- Jackson talking. Blackmore. Jackson, Jackson Blackmore. Blackmore. He gives mm-hmm. as good as he plays uh, Basileans, right? He definitely Yeah, it's gives fun. Good, it's yeah. fun. It, it's weird because, like, when you're playing, you know, we're just, ch- ch- you know, joking about Jeremy, but, you know, in that situation, he's playing a new kid for the first time. He didn't know how to do it, how to deal with it. But Jackson comes to the table and he starts talking crap, like, right from the beginning. And so it kind of catches some people off guard. They're like, uh, what do I do here? Well, you know what the answer is? You, you talk crap back and you, you pound them in the ground. You, you give them a good fight. Uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's, you know, he's, he's one of those people that likes to get a big scrap going and, um, he's a lot of fun and he doesn't cry. He doesn't cry. And, uh, I've, I've beat his ass a few times. So he takes it like a champ. Nice. So before we get into the shout outs, does anyone have any closing thoughts about getting your kids into war gaming? Uh, Do's and don'ts, uh, anything we might not have mentioned. Uh, John? Nothing particularly, just uh, don't force the issue. Um, if they're interested in, in, in gaming, uh, offer them. You know, I say the, the way I got Lexa in was, was taking her to events and letting her hang around the events and meet the people and uh, roll a few dice. That was, that was the way in for me. It was very, very easy there from then on. She was, she was already, um, you know, she, she became known in the community well before she actually started uh, rolling for herself in events so that, that worked for me very nicely that's good advice i mean if it if it's meant to be it's meant to be how about you mark well for myself i say get them used to the culture early the earlier the better uh don't force them like john said and i really and i mentioned it before i really believe making it special time with you and your child i think is really important you know like nowadays kylie really doesn't paint unless it's time that we set aside and sit down and paint. She won't paint without me, but she will paint and build if we take that special time and sit down and just do that. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, I've been working a lot and I haven't been able to do it as much. And so I've got to try to rectify that. And this podcast is going to help me springboard towards that. Uh, But, you know, and remember their kids. So make sure you give them a break. You know, if you take them to events or you take them to a um, event or something like that, you know, just remember they need a break. They they don't have the stamina you do, but uh, definitely do it. There's nothing like playing games with your kids. I highly recommend it. I'm glad I did it, and I cherish all those memories that I had uh, playing with them. How about you, Rob? I mean, I think what the guys have said uh, is great. One final thing I'll mention though is sometimes if you have a friend that ha- also has a child. And you can find a friend for your daughter or your son. I know Aubrey's been going to the gaming store quite a bit with me because the owner of the store's daughters are there and she she enjoys going and hanging out. And they're doing things like magic and who knows, maybe down the road they'll get more into miniature games. But the point is, it's cool because other kids are doing it, right? And so just keep that in mind. If there's if there's another kid that you can latch on to, that, that could help facilitate getting your own kid into the game. You know, Rob, that is an excellent, excellent point. So, and that's how my daughter's D and D group built. So, you know, and now I've I've got my basement is overrun with uh, teenagers every Friday night. So, but uh, you know, it's a great thing though. It warms my heart watching these kids playing D and D all the time. So they're all got their own dice, and it's just like um, you know they're walking down the same path. It really does my heart good. So, but very good. That's a great point. If you can get people. Uh, other kids to show them that it's not stupid and it's not just for old people. That's a big piece. Awesome. Does anyone have any shout outs before we uh, wrap up the show? Well, you know, Steve, I'm going to shout out easy army. So can you spot blaster on the page? You know, I, I don't have to say throw a few shekels Greg's way anymore because he's getting enough shekels with the premium version. But uh, <laughs> if you want to donate, I'm sure you can. But yeah, definitely check it out. I love Easy Army. I'm glad it's back and uh, I'm glad it's up and running again because uh, it doesn't exist unless it's on Easy Army. So, And I'm looking forward to seeing Vanguard and Dead Zone get the same treatment on Easy Army in the near future. So, mm. Mm. Yeah, That's- won't that be awesome? That's going to be really cool. Yeah, that'd be cool. Um, the other shout-out is um, uh, when it's um, times like this, then, guys, remember your uh, f- your local gaming store is probably doing uh, still online sales. So, throw, you know, start buying stuff from them still. Uh, it's still needed. Uh, I know Mantic stores, Mantic's uh, warehouse is still working, so there's still some nice stuff there. Um, so, yeah, use your local, f- uh, friendly local gaming store. Yeah, and I'd say that's a... 
to say thanks to the guys at Mantic that are still working hard. Um, there's a uh, they've got uh, their isolation protocols going, but there's still people in the warehouse. They're still shipping things out, and it's very much appreciating the guys that are working at home because uh, I think the uh, the hobby keeps us sane while we're living in uh, in this rather weird time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I say I had a, I had a critical need. Uh parcel arrived with some some uh, bone cord spray that because i'd run out of that and and some some new gorgeous abyssal dwarfs so i shall be that's my next army <laughs> i'm sure it was just having to pat you're just trying to pad the order to get the free shipping right uh, yeah, yeah absolutely yes yeah yeah i need, definitely need the spray and then the rest of it they just have to fall into the to the basket mm. there you go and hey we got to mention mantic's running some great deals and lowered the shipping so i mean uh, now's a good time to stock up yeah, I was eyeing the Walking Dead starter pack today. I just need to, just need need to convince my kids that Walking Dead is cool, and then and then we'll go. Fifty off is hard to beat. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yes, it is. And you know what, Steve? That starter scenario for Walking Dead is great. It's real small. It's real simple. That's a great way to get started. Well, that'll do us for tonight. Um, so until next time, keep countercharging. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com on Twitter at countercharge15. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons. 